This sermon, Deep Work, was preached by Ron Boomsma on Sunday, February 20th, 2022 at Sovereign Grace Church. Wonderful to be with you. Uh, We're going to take some time in God's Word in Jonah chapter 2. So I'll give you some time to pull there. Let me say a quick prayer. I'll introduce him. We'll read a passage together in just a few minutes. Father, we're about to open up the scriptures, read from the scriptures. We're about to preach from the text. We have wonderful hearers here with hearts open wide. You've got a, a, a preacher. You've, we have our word. Your spirit is present. All, all the ingredients are right here in this room for your spirit to do a wonderful work of sowing your word into our lives, into our hearts, so that it would bear fruit in your kingdom and for your glory. That's our desire. Let it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was in a conversation with a friend some time ago, and in that conversation, he recommended a book called Deep Work by a man named Cal Newport. Caught my attention, grabbed the book, read the book, found it interesting, and it, and it was helpful. The, the essence of the book, the premise of it is something like this, that, that activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that push our cognitive capacities to their limit, that's deep work. That's good work. So the challenge is like this. We don't do a lot of deep work. I don't know about you. I don't even read articles anymore. I just read headlines. I mean, everything is skimming. I'm constantly multitasking. And what Cal Newport is saying is we've lost something in the sense that we don't slow down, take more time, think more deeply, focus on what we're doing, focus on what needs to be done in an undistracted way. And his point is that we've really lost some serious quality of life because we don't think deeply. We don't do deep work as opposed to shallow work, the kind of work that you can do and do something else at the same time. Where you can do this, you can do that, you've got this going, you spend a little bit of energy here, a little bit of energy here, and a lot of life is like that. But shallow work ends up creating shallow living. And the point of the book was that we're losing something in the quality of life because we're not slowing down enough, thinking deeply enough about the things that are important. Creativity begins to work at that point. Deep work in our lives, heart change takes place in this. And when I think about what is God doing in the church, and we've been through the past two years, I hate to even bring it up. Could we stop talking about how miserable the last couple of years have been and how much trouble and how polarizing and argumentative and COVID and problems and strife and division and the difficulty and everything and how many times did we step back, scratching our heads and say, God, what in the world are you doing? I want to propose that he's doing a deep work. That he's calling us to slow down Think more deeply about what is most important. 
less distracted with all the news headlines, less distracted with the bantering and the arguments and the vitriol that's going through your streaming on your devices here, all that set aside and let's think. God is doing a deep work. He wants to do a deep work. He wants to deepen our understanding of who we are in Christ. You're not going to get that with shallow work. He wants to deepen our understanding about who we are in Christ, who we are as a church, who you are as a local church, a deeper understanding of our mission, the real purpose that God has us on this planet for these few short years. Why are we here? If our lives are filled with shallow work, the real value of comprehending these kinds of things will be lost on us. And as James says, our lives are like a vapor. It will be over before we know it. And so we're looking to Jonah chapter 2. This is the quintessential deep work. If the phrase deep work came from anywhere, it must have come from Jonah chapter 2. This is the part where God took Jonah down into the deep. I mean the bottom of the sea. He was at the bottom of the bottom of everything. This was the deepest thing. And at that moment, in that place, that's where God did his work. If you read through the book of Jonah, it's a pretty exciting book. It's the one with the big fish that swallows Jonah. But most of the children would know the story of Jonah. We know about a disobedient prophet. We know about Nineveh. If you read through the four short chapters of Jonah... Chapter 2 is the prayer at the bottom of the sea. Maybe not the most exciting part of the narrative, but what I want to propose to you, the most significant, because it was at the bottom of the sea where God met him and did a deep, deep work. Jonah, the odd prophet who got published for his disobedience. Okay, this is not why prophets get put into the Bible because they disobey God, but he did. That's his claim to fame. He ran from God, he ran from his calling, not what prophets are supposed to do. And yet Jonah is put into the book for this very reason. We have a man who rejected his calling. We have a man who rejected his purpose in life, a man who thought that God's plan was not a good plan, A man who thought that his plan for his life was better than God's plan for his life. A man who thought he was going to decide where he would live, where he was going to work, who he was going to serve, who he was going to reach out to, and who he was going to ignore. As the book unfolds, we begin to understand that while Jonah's disobedience gets top billing, we begin to realize Jonah's disobedience was not the real problem. It wasn't the problem behind the problem. The problem beneath the problem with Jonah was that he did not understand about the grace of God. You're all here this morning, and I don't doubt many of you, if not all of you, could say, I've got a problem. There's something going on in my life. There's struggles. There's areas where grace is not working real well for me right now. You walked into this room. You've got a problem. I want to propose that the problem beneath your problem has to do 
with the lack of depth of our understanding of the grace of God. The problem beneath the problem is like if you know God and you know about his grace, all the other problems become bearable, doable, manageable, actually where you can learn from them and grow from them. But I know I'm human like all of us in the room. When my problem is my problem, my problem is the biggest problem and that consumes my life. Ah, but you get to stop, sit, and listen to somebody who's going to suggest there's a deeper problem beneath your problem. And it has to do with how we think and understand and know the grace of God. Let's read the text. Jonah chapter 2. Actually, let's bump up to chapter 1, verse 17. That kind of fits with what we're reading. So you know we have Jonah, the renegade prophet. He's running from God. God says, go here. He goes there. goes the opposite direction. And a lot happens. He's on a boat. He gets thrown into the sea. And here we pick it up, chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again. Upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry ground. I want to encourage you into a deep work, deep thinking about the grace of God. Please don't misunderstand me if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're a new Christian and you're kind of looking at this and thinking about this, um, I don't want this to come across like, look, come to Jesus, he might drown you. This is a good thing. Trust me, it'll be okay. Uh, I don't want you to get the impression that God is somehow working to harm you, but I will assure you this, that coming to the Lord means that the Lord is gonna be working in your life to show you his grace, and he will do whatever he deems wise and necessary to help you and I come into a deep understanding of his grace. 
Because when there's a deep understanding of God's grace, you can live anywhere, you can bear up under anything, you can find joy even in the darkest of places, and you can embrace God's purpose for your life. For Jonah, the deep work moved him from running away from God into walking into obedience to God, to being a part of what God was doing. The deep work in Jonah's life took him from doing his own thing to becoming a part of God's thing. And that's a beautiful place to be. Whether you realize it or not, it's the place you truly want to be. It's the place I want to be. It's the place God wants to bring us. He's wise and he's good. Sometimes a deep work requires hitting rock bottom. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. That's a pretty common phrase, hitting rock bottom. We use that phrase when we talk about addicts, alcoholics. We talk about what it means to hit rock bottom. Maybe you've been there. Maybe somebody close to you has been through something like that. You're very familiar with the phrase. And the phrase is identifying when the circumstances in your life get bad enough for you to wake up and turn around and go in the other direction. Now, hitting rock bottom is different for any person. Okay, let's just run with the alcoholic example of hitting rock bottom. For somebody who's drinking too much, all it takes is a spouse or a close friend to say, I think you're drinking too much. And that's your rock bottom. That's all it took. I got it. You identified it. You said it. It's true. I'm going to change my ways. But for somebody else, you got to get your first DUI. That's your rock bottom. I can't believe it. I got pulled over. I got caught. I got, I got my first DUI. And it's your rock bottom. And it wakes you up. And so I got to change. This is not going in a good direction. Unfortunately for some, rock bottom is much, much deeper. And the career is lost. Family's lost. The home is lost. Everything's gone. There's no money. There's no friends. There's no place. There's nothing. And all the person can think about is where is the next drink coming from? That's rock bottom. And I, could I get any lower? And everybody has a different rock bottom. Jonah's rock bottom was the Rock bottom, all the way down, okay? So, and the writer of Jonah does this. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a remarkable piece of literature in the way it's written. And so you, you follow the, the language here, and the author writes it out. God, Jonah is running from God's presence and says he goes down to Joppa. And then he goes down into a ship. And then he goes down in the ship into the inner lower deck of the ship. Then when the storm hits, the guys on the boat throw him down into the sea. And once he's into the water, he starts sinking down into the depths of the sea. The point is that this guy just keeps going down and down and down. And God is taking him down to find rock bottom, because at rock bottom, he's going to find the grace of God. 
the amazing part of the story is that God is there at the bottom. The first verse we read, and God appointed a great fish. The guy's at the bottom of the bottom, at the lowest place that we can literally imagine, and there comes God. There comes God to rescue, to save him. Okay, who needs to grasp a deep work of the grace of God? Anybody? I'm all in. I'm all in. I I want it more and more. You might be in a situation currently in your walk, in your life with the Lord. It's like, ah, I'm, I'm smelling rock bottom somewhere in my life here, and I need the Lord to come and rescue me. Friend, if you're running from God in any way, in any way, your calling in life, your, your obligations of life, what God is calling you to, what you know is right for you. Maybe you've got some besetting sin sneaking its way in. Maybe it's very mild. You're, con- you're convinced you've got it under control, but you know it's not right, and yet here it is, and it's getting a little bit easier, and the conviction is getting more and more dull. Friend, it, it's, it's time for, for a deep work, a deep work about the grace of God. Maybe you're here this morning, find yourself uniquely desperate. The truth is, every one of us could use a fresh encounter with God's grace. So let's join Jonah at the bottom of the sea. And let's press into his prayer, the dullest part of the story, his prayer, and yet the most significant part where we can draw from. What I want to do is just draw out from his prayer four ingredients of a deep work. Four things that I'm pulling out of his prayer that are, and you, I want you to hear this list of four things in a couple different ways. These are evidences of a deep work. That's what we're seeing. God got through to Jonah and his prayer comes out and the things that come out in his prayer show us, ah, he's beginning to grasp the grace of God. So hear them in that. They're evidences of God's grace in your life, but also you can hear it on the, on the flip side. Uh, this shows me that I need a deep work in my life. This will make sense as we start listening, listening through. First ingredient of a deep work, a unique and deep gratefulness. Thanksgiving. So Jonah begins to pray, and he prays a prayer of thanksgiving. He starts off with this phrase as if it's all said and done. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. Lord, you heard my voice. Now, here we've got a guy whose heart is filled with a condescending attitude toward Nineveh, a self-righteousness. The guy's got this toxic nationalism going on inside him. And he was a professional in the ministry. And so he prayed. No doubt he prayed lots of times. He made lots of public prayers, no doubt. He was in the ministry. He was one of the prophets. He was called upon. He stood up front. He did stuff like this. And yet now, Jonah prayed like Jonah never prayed before. Something happened down in the belly of that fish. Now, to me, being in the belly of a fish does not sound very appealing this does not sound like a happy place, a good place. But, but think about the storyline and what's happening. Down, 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 in the water, 
sinking, sinking, seaweed around my neck. And you know, in just seconds, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to suck it in. I have to breathe. There's no air. I'm going to open up, and I'm going to take in the water. I don't know if this is, I hope I'm not touching on one of your major fears in your life. I'm triggering something right now. It's like, oh, drowning is like the worst thing I can imagine. You know you're going to have that awful moment. You're just going to suck that water in. Your lungs are going to fill up with water, and in a matter of seconds, it's, your body's going to shut down. It's going to be over. So he's thinking that. He's aware of that. Like you are aware of it. Like you're imagining yourself drowning right now. He was there. He's in the water. He's going down. And all of a sudden, this great fish comes along. And he's inside the belly of this fish, and he has air. He's alive. He's not dead. He never took in the water into his lungs. He's breathing. He's alive. He can think. And he begins to pray. So while being in the belly of a fish is not an appealing place to be, nobody goes on vacation there. This is not a go-to destination. Nevertheless, if you thought you were going to die, and now you find yourself there, and you're alive, there's a new kind of gratefulness that comes over you. I heard once that the Army did a study on do people really change. And for the most part, it was pretty negative. People don't really change. But some people do, and I'm told that some of the categories that actually cause people to actually change is a near-death experience. If you have a near-death experience, there's a high potential that you could come out of that a different person. Jonah had a near-death experience. God met him there. So Jonah knew he should die. According to Jonah's own theology, he was a dead man. And as you read the story, you realize, I'm the cause of the storm. I'm the trouble. Go ahead. Throw me in. He was a prophet. God speaks. God says what he says. You do what God says. You don't do what God says. You die. But Jonah couldn't find it within himself to do what God said. And he knew it. So he was at this point in his life where he says, By all rights, God should kill me. I should be dead. I don't deserve to live. I've been preaching this message my whole life, and now I am the message. I've disobeyed God, and I should die. And he's inside the fish, and he realizes, I didn't die. I should have died. I didn't die. I'm alive. And he prays. This is the backside of the gospel that makes the gospel amazing. If you truly understand the gospel, you realize the backdrop of the good news is that I should have died. I realize the reality that my life and your life, sorry, good as you are, up against a holy God, doesn't measure And if you really come to behold the glory of God and you really look honestly into the word of God and you see it for what it is, you realize you have this kind of woe is me moment where you realize I don't have what it takes to be right with God. 
And then you come into the saving grace through Jesus Christ, and you realize, I'm not dead. I was supposed to be dead. I'm not dead. I was drowning, sinking, weeds around my neck, going down to the depths. That's my trajectory, and yet, here you are. You're alive. You look great. You know God is doing a deep work when you're truly grateful that you're saved. Okay? If you're truly aware, you live in some level of reality, of awareness that God has saved you. I should have died, but I'm not. That's a deep work. And you know you are in need of a deep work when you don't. It's the two ways I want you to hear these points. If you are truly grateful that God saved you and you live to some level aware of that, God has done a deep work in you. You're sitting here this morning and you say, you know what? I don't really think about that. I'm really not that grateful that God saved me. I'm not really sure I should have died. You need a deep work. This is the reality for every human being on the planet. Second, second, deep work. Jonah could recognize God at work. Okay, who threw Jonah into the sea? If you have a Bible open, chapter 1, verse 15 says, So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. They, meaning the crew members, the guys on the boat, the fishermen, the guys manning the tackle and the, and the duties on the boat, they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. But when we get to Jonah's prayer, and he's praying, he says, Lord, you tossed me into the sea. So who threw Jonah into the sea? Were Was the men on the boat, or was it God? And, of course, the answer is both. But when he's in the middle of a deep work and he's praying, he recognizes God at work in his life. Same event, two causes. The Bible does this often. And sometimes it appears a little confusing. It often describes the same situation in two ways. Simply put, there's a human perspective and there's a divine perspective. Same event, two things are going on. People are at work. Things, material, physical, planet, world stuff is happening. At the same time, there's another dimension, another side. There's a divine side. God is at work. Same event, two causes bringing it about. I'm going to assume at least a couple of you are like me in that when something bad happens to me, I get entirely consumed with the human perspective on what happened to me. You wronged me, you cheated me, you took advantage of me, you hurt me. 
And the video goes over and over and over again, and I become consumed with the human perspective on what has happened in my life. And yet Jonah's not at the bottom of the sea inside the fish saying, those guys on the boat threw me into the sea. Can you believe it? There I was, a passenger. I paid the fare. (laughs) I paid for my ticket, and the guys just picked me up and hurled me into the sea. It was not on his mind at all. In fact, he told them to do it. But when he gets to the bottom and he begins to pray, he begins to realize God is at work in his life. And he begins to identify and his perspective shifts from the human to the divine. And now he's in God's presence and he begins to say, oh Lord, you've done this. Your hand is at work in my life. You are doing something for your purposes in me. When the divine perspective influences you more than the human perspective, you know God is doing a deep work in your life. When the human perspective is predominant in your life and you lose sight of and cannot comprehend the divine perspective of what's going on in your life, you know you need a deep work of God's grace in your life. Third, Jonah returned to God's word, another evidence of a deep work of God's spirit in this man's life. His prayer reads like a psalm. It reads like a psalm because it is one, because most of it came from the psalms. He had studied the psalms. He had memorized psalms. And now when he's in his lowest rock-bottom point, what comes out? Our psalms. Psalm 18, verse 4 and 5 says, The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Sound familiar? It's Jonah's prayer. Psalm 42, verse 7, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Sound familiar? It's in Jonah's prayer. Previously, Jonah was running away from the word of the Lord. Another aspect of just the the literary aspect of the the book, the word of the Lord, it, it almost functions like a character in the story. And Jonah is running away from the word of the Lord, and now he's running to it. What are we doing with God's word? What are you doing with God's word in your life, in your distress, in your trouble, in your sinking down? It's not so unusual to wonder about God's word. Certainly not unusual to ask questions about God's word. It is not unusual to struggle with, really, God? Is this really true? True? Did you really mean this? I tried this. I thought this. I'm not sure this is playing out. None of this is strange. So if, if that's what you're processing, you're not weird. 
You're not strange. Every Christian, every believer walking through those kinds of struggles, really, God, are you sure? That runs, that one runs cross-grained to my own sensibilities. I'm not sure you know what you're talking about, God. Well, that was Jonah. Go to Nineveh? Everything about going to Nineveh and telling them about Jesus runs cross-grained to all my sensibilities. I think that's a bad idea. Those are the bad people. We don't like them. It's better that they should burn. It's better that they should pay for their sins. God, I don't like your plan. I don't think this is a good idea. Nothing about this makes sense to me. And yet that was precisely what he needed to learn. Truly about the grace of God. Now friends, also can I caution you, we, do, we cross a line. It's, it's reasonable to doubt. It's a funny way of saying it. It's understandable to doubt and struggle with things. We do cross a line at times into sheer unbelief. That's not true. I'm not buying that. God is wrong. I won't believe that. The true test of faith is how much we actually are willing to rely upon the words and the promises of God more than our own impressions. And they do come in conflict, conflict from time to time. When, like Jonah, God speaks and we go the other direction, friends, those are moments we're in need of a deep work in our lives. So it's not so much about, okay, friend, you need to read and memorize more Bible verses and take everything in its most literal sense. It's far more, again, this is, this is the problem beneath the problem. It is far more about understanding the character of God and understanding the grace of God and what God is after about rescuing lost sinners and rescuing you and me. It's much more about approaching God and his words with faith in his character and trust in his wisdom. You know you need a deep work of God in your life when his words carry less and less weight in your life. When other voices, other narratives become predominant influences in your life. Look out. It might throw you into the sea so that you can realize what you need to realize about who God is. And when God throws you into the sea, you might say, this is the worst thing in my life. But then you'll find yourself inside the belly of the fish, alive and breathing. And you'll come out saying, and salvation belongs to the Lord. Friends, our mission, this church, is going to stand or fall depending on how much it lives dependent upon God's word and for that to control the narrative of our lives. Last point, fourth point, Jonah looked to the temple. I don't know if you picked that up as we're reading through Jonah chapter 2 and his prayer. He made a couple references to the temple. Maybe strikes you and me as a little bit odd. We've got to get into something here about who Jonah is in verse 4, yet 
I shall again look upon your holy temple, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple, verse 7. Those references are actually, this is, this is the gospel thread that is being sown throughout the scripture. This is where the needle comes poking up through the text and pulling that thread through of, of the gospel. The reference to the temple. I'm going to look to your temple. The temple was a visible display of God's redemption. It was the place where God was. And in the middle of this temple... This place, this location, in the, in, the, in the middle of it was a smaller tent. And in the middle of that was a, was a box. And in that box, inside that box was the law. Okay, the stone tablets that God wrote on and gave to Moses, they put inside that box. This is the law of God. So, in other words, at the center of where God is, the presence of God is this law, meaning this is how a person relates to God. You obey these laws. You, you want to walk with God. You want to know God. Here's the ten things that you do in order to be right with God and to be in his presence. It's like, let's just imagine the room is an orchestra, and God is the conductor and hands out the music and you all have instruments and you're all playing. You're all part of the orchestra. If you want to be part of this orchestra, here's the music that we're playing. Here's the sheet we're all going to play from. And you can be a part of the orchestra if you play this piece of music. Now, if you sit over here and you decide, I want to be a part of this orchestra, but I don't want to play this song. I want to play a different song. I want to play my own sing. I, I've got my own ideas. And so you go ahead, conductor, do what you want to do, but I'm going to play my own thing here. It's like, well, okay, you, you have the right, in a sense, to choose to play your own thing, but you can't be a part of this orchestra. Okay? You, you don't fit. You can't, you can't do that here. If you're going to be in the orchestra, this is the sheet of music that we're reading from, and you follow the music that's the Ten Commandments. That's what God is saying. You want to be a part of God's family. You want to belong to God. You want to be in his presence. Here's what it means. Here's ten things. On top of that box that had the law inside was a thing called the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the lid on top of the box that had God's law that said how we relate to God. And on that mercy seat was where the priest would come and pour the blood of the sacrifice onto that seat. And all that was to symbolize and to communicate that while no one could effectively keep those laws perfectly, the sacrifice was made Blood was poured, and that blood covered over that box. So the effect of that box, the condemnation that that box brought to you and brought to me was covered by another. The sacrifice was made so that those laws were covered over and made a way for you and me to enter in. 
This is what keeps showing up in Jonah's prayer. I look to your temple because I disobeyed your word. I didn't follow your word. I was unworthy of your presence. But there in your temple, in your temple, the blood covers that mercy seat and makes a way for me to be yet again in your presence. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We cannot earn it. But we run to the temple, to the center of where God is, and we see that blood, and that blood speaks a word over us. And so what is the phrase? Jonah's prayer. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The ringing conclusion, the exclamation that Jonah lands on. That phrase right there, Edmund Clowney, wonderful theologian, referred to that as the summary statement of the entire Bible. One of his favorite phrases in the Bible. That phrase, salvation belongs to the Lord. Five words. You want the whole Bible in five words? There it is. It's in the book of Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a summary statement of a deep work done in the hearts of God's people. When you look to the temple, we could transpose that into New Testament language. When you look to the cross, when you look to the sacrifice that he made on our behalf so that we could stand in his presence, you know a deep work has taken place in your life. And the flip side, if you don't, if that's not where you're looking, if not in your time of crisis, your attention is not drawn to his sacrifice and the blood that he spilt, if that's not where your focus is, friend, you need a deep work in your life. Your life will be shallow. It will not be a life well lived without that ingredient. But with it, with it, my friends, we will live lives well lived for his glory. Conclusion. Let's recap simply. You know God has done a deep work in you when you can look in the mirror and say, like Jonah, salvation belongs to the Lord. I didn't do this myself. I didn't deserve this. I shouldn't have gotten this. I should have gotten something altogether different, and yet here I am. You know God has done a deep work when you can look at your life and you can see God at work in it. You're not consumed with what you've done, what somebody else has done to you, what somebody didn't do for you, but you look at your life and you can clearly see, yes, all that is true. Nevertheless, I see God's hand at work in my life. Your greatest trials, your setbacks, all that you've experienced, your past failures, all had human influences involved in them. And yet, if you can still see through it all God's hand at work, that's a deep work. That's a good work. You know God has done a deep work in you when your Bible is still a living book in your life. When you still open up that book 
and the words are alive to you, and they are life to you. When you eat them like food, when they are sweet like honey inside of you, when those are the words that are bringing the most influence upon your soul, you know a deep work has taken place in your life. And you know when you look to the cross, when you look to that place of greatest suffering, when you look to the point that many outside Christianity would mock us for even drawing attention to it, when you look there and you see the grace of God, you know a deep work is taking place. The other side, if you don't, you need it. If you've got it, be grateful for it. If you don't, go and get it. Jump off the boat, jump into the water, get down, go down deep, press into the Lord. He's not out to hurt you. He's out to show you his grace.